Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. It's great as we continue in this, this uh, blueprint sermon series that we've been in for the, the, the past couple of weeks. And it's, honestly, it's been, it's, it's been awesome. You know, with, everything that's, with everything that's going on in the life of the church, it's just been awesome just for, for a little bit, for, for us to get to talk about who we are and for us to talk about why we are and for us to get to talk about, for us to get to talk about where we're going, where we're going as a, as a church that's continuing to, to live out its, its mission of making more deeply committed followers of the way of Jesus Christ. It's awesome for us to, to get an opportunity to come and and to talk about where we're going as a church that, that's still seeking to, to live out our call to be a place, to be a church where tradition meets today. And remember what we've said, that we have no fewer than three traditions around here. Three traditions that we're heir to, that we're heir to the apostolic tradition and the Wesleyan tradition. And around here locally, we're, we're heirs to our, our kind of pioneering tradition as well. Uh, we're heirs to a tradition of God and grace and guts and gumption, and we've, talk, we've talked about all of that. You know, we've, we've talked about our whys, but now we're talking about our hows. How are we gonna do all of that stuff? And so last week we talked about our, our blueprint for missions, and this week we're talking about our, our blueprint for worship. Because honestly, worship, worship is, is the heart. Worship is the soul of everything else that we do. It's that thing that, that powers, it's the thing that, that gives power to, to everything else that we do. In fact, uh, a couple of months ago, Pastor John and I had to go down to, to, to God's country. We had to go to Waco for, a, uh, for an overnight, thank y'all for that. Uh, uh, we had to go to Waco for an overnight meeting. And, and that night I was, getting, I was written, getting ready for bed and I get a call, I get a call in, in my room and it's, it's John. And he tells me that he can't figure out how to turn the TV on in his room. And he asks me, hey, do you think you could come down and fix it for me? And what am I going to say? No. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll be down there. So I put on my shoes, I put on my hat, and I'll, I'll, I'll be real with you all. I grumbled. I grumbled with every step as I made my way down to his room. And whenever I got there, I, I couldn't turn the thing on either. Um, I mean, I tried everything I knew to do. I pushed every button I could find. I flipped every switch on a wall. I, I even changed out the batteries in his remote control. I did every, after 20 minutes, the thing still wouldn't come on. And, and then it hit me. It hit me and I dared to look behind, I dared to look behind the dresser where uh, the TV, that the TV was on. And there in the midst of all that nastiness that had never been cleaned up, I saw it, I saw the problem. The thing wasn't even plugged in. The TV wasn't even plugged in, McKellar. Um, worship is the source of our power. Worship is the source of our power. And it is the one thing that only the church does. It's the thing that sets us apart. Because we know, we know there are some great organizations, there are great agencies, great programs out there that, that feed the hungry and help the homeless, but it's the church. 
It's only the church that does that, that does that really good work while at the exact same time offering salvation. It's only the church that does that good work while at the same time offering healing. I mean real healing, mind and body and soul. It's, it's only the church. It's only the church that does all of that good work that while at the same time offering hope. I mean that ostentatious, overcoming sort of hope that we find in Jesus. See, it's worship. It's worship that keeps all the good stuff that we do grounded in God. It's, it's worship that keeps all the good stuff that we do grounded in the gospel. It's worship. It's worship that keeps all of our hows grounded in our why. And so I think it's really important. I think it's critical for us to remember what worship is and for us to remember how worship works. And just for a, a couple of moments this morning, I want us to think, I want us to think about something that Soren Kierkegaard once said. And I know, I know that for a lot of us, just even hearing that name brings on a massive headache. Uh, but, but I promise you, this thing, this thing that Kierkegaard said, this thing that he taught, it, it really is one of the most important, it's one of the most practical things I've ever, I've ever heard an academic say. Um, one day Kierkegaard was talking about worship. And he said that, that most folks, he said that most Christians, we understand worship like we understand theater. It's, it's theater. Um, and remember, theaters back in his day, the, the theater, there were, there were actors, and there was an audience in and, and theaters of that day. There was also, also a prompter. Remember, there was always like this little box right here. There was always a guy in a box like right here that would, that would shout lines to an actor if they forgot. There was, there was a prompter here who was going to help the actors out if they ever got in trouble. And, and what Kierkegaard said was that for most of us, for most Christians, the way we understand that, we see that God, we understand worship, God's the prompter. It's God who's, who's prompting the worship leaders, the pastor, the, the choirs, the, the, the orchestra. God is prompting the actors up on stage, and that means that the audience is the congregation. That all of this is for you. And Kierkegaard said, but if that's our understanding of worship, then we are missing the point. He said, we're missing the power entirely. Um, he said, rather than that, instead of that, this is a better way of understanding worship. Worship rightly understood, and worship rightly understood, the actors, it's the congregation. We up here, the preachers, the pastors, the clergy, the choir, the worship leaders, the orchestra, we're only the prompters. We're prompting the, the actors. You know what that means then, right? Our audience, our audience is the Lord God Almighty. All of this for an audience of one that changes things, doesn't it? And we're gonna see a, a brilliant example of that sort of worship in our scripture for this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. I'm gonna give you a run and start to find our scripture this morning, because we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk this morning. So good luck. Yes, I know, Habakkuk. Um, um, so if you've got your Bibles, because this is one of those scriptures I really want us to, to dog-ear this page, to highlight, to underline these verses. They're a powerhouse reference for us. I would love for us to memorize. So seriously, if you have your Bibles, open them up. We're, I'm going to help us 
find the book of Habakkuk. It's one of those, one of those small books with a hard name towards the end of the, the Old Testament. If you're flipping through, you go through all, you know, it's past the book of, of, of Psalms. If you're flipping through, it's going to go Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, then Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Okay, we're going to be, do what? Show off. <laughs> yeah, it's the one thing I can do. Uh, um, Habakkuk, we're going to be in Habakkuk chapter three. So open up your Bibles if you have them. The easier way, let's confess it, the easier way this morning, if you have a Bible app on your cell phone, just go ahead and turn that thing on, or the WC app, uh, go ahead and turn it on. We're going to be in, in Habakkuk chapter three this morning. Again, reading these, these wonderful, powerful verses. Habakkuk 3, picking up with verse 17. This is what the prophet says. It says, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and, and no fruits on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there's no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. What's, what's really fascinating to me is that this kind of relatively unheard of prophet named Habakkuk, he was living in a day, he was living in a time that was very much like our own. And his worries, his fears, his anxieties, they were very much like ours too. He, he was a man who was worried about the state of his country. He was a man who was worried about the state of his nation. And so he prayed. And he prays, and he prays, and he prays some more, but, but nothing ever seems to change. Nothing ever seems to, to happen. The rich just keep getting richer, and the poor just keep on getting poorer. And the wicked and the violent, they seem to prosper while the righteous suffer. And worst of all, it, it seems like God, God didn't even care. And so throughout the, the first chapter of this book, Habakkuk just he pours his heart out to God. He begs God, he cries out to God, he asks God, have you forgotten about us? Have you totally forgotten us? Have you, have you given up on us? And then finally in, in chapter two, God speaks. And God says, Habakkuk, just wait. Habakkuk, just hold on. Trust me. And then the book closes here in chapter 3, it closes out with Habakkuk showing us how to do just that. He shows us how to hold on by worshiping. In, in the worst of times, in the hardest of seasons, when the crops fail and the barns are empty, when the stock market crashes, when the doctor calls when our kid's teacher sends home yet another note, yet will I praise him. Yet will I rejoice in, in the God of my salvation. See, it's, it's an act of the will. Worship is a choice. And not just, not just for, the, for the good times, not just for the times whenever worship is easy, but for the hard times, especially in the hard times when we really need it, when we really need to tap in, when we really need to plug in, when we really need to plug into the source of, of our power, when we really need to tap in, when we really need to plug into the, to the source of our purpose, the source of our peace. See, it's worship. Worship is, in and of itself, worship is a blueprint.
Worship is the very blueprint for overcoming. I thank you for that. And I wonder how many of us today have something in our lives we need to overcome. Truth is, all of us, which is why worship is so important. That's why this scripture is so important because when we tap in, we discover how to overcome whatever it is that we face and we're struggling with. So let's look back. Habakkuk teaches three things that happen during worship that we need to learn. And the first is this, it reframes how we see life. How does he begin? On this worst day, he paints this picture of everything that could go wrong. Yet, even in this day, I'm gonna worship. I'm going to praise, I'm going to exult in God because in my worship, God is going to help me see life. God is going to help me see my circumstances differently. I'm going to reframe how I look at things because I have been to worship. And I know this is true because this is my story. I was thinking back to two moments in my life that I experienced this that really helped me reframe what I saw. One was a really cold, raw day, January 1986, Shreveport, Louisiana. It was cold, rainy in the 20s, and it was a Sunday morning, and Debbie and I taught eighth grade Sunday school, and it was so bad, I thought, Debbie, you and Jay, Jay was a little guy, y'all stay home, I'll go teach Sunday school, and I decided to go to the early worship service. So I went to the 8.30 service, and there was just a handful of people there. Nobody was there, and I was sitting there and really struggling with the call to ministry. That had been on my mind and my heart, and in that mostly empty sanctuary, during the sermon, I heard a clear and distinct voice from God calling me into ministry. I heard something from the pastor so profound that it just shook me up and excited me and astounded me, and I was so moved by that moment that a couple of weeks later, I took the pastor to lunch. And I said, you're not going to believe what happened in your sermon. I heard this, and God spoke to me clearly, called me into the ministry, and I shared with him what I heard. And he looked at me and said, I never said that. I never even thought that. And I learned a lesson about the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in worship, the Spirit can say something to us that nobody else will hear. It's directed just for us, which is why when we worship, We ought to sit on the edge of our seat. We ought to have anticipation. We ought to wonder, what is God going to say to me that may, I'm the only one that may hear that? Because worship reframes how we see life, but also our circumstances. Uh, The other worship moment that I remember, next year, it was April 1987. We had gone into ministry. We spent a year as the pastor of the Methodist Church in Haslett, Texas. Been a great year. It had just been exciting, fun. The church had blossomed. There was a wonderful spirit. Things were going so well. In fact, so well that the district superintendent called me in and gave me a raise and a promotion and sent me to another church. So he was promoting me to another church. And I was new and green in this, and I didn't know how to go about telling the congregation. And he said, this is what you do. Don't say a word to anybody. Just keep it completely secret. At the end of the worship service, at the end, stand up at the benediction and announce that you're moving to a new church. That was really bad advice. (laughs) I never made that mistake again. 
So we did. We went through worship that day. I stood up at the benediction. I announced I was being moving to a new church. The bishop was a, planning to be appoint me to this church, and um, people didn't know, and there was shock. There was kind of some gasp, and some people were mad. Some people were upset. Some people were crying. It was this horrible moment that just threw a wet blanket on the worship, and I was standing there literally panicked like a deer looking in a headlight thinking, what am I going to do now? How do I rescue this moment? And I was standing there frozen. And one of the great members of the church, one of the saints of the church, Joyce Plummer stood up and she said, preacher, we need to change the closing hymn. Can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? And we sang that old hymn and it's never sounded to me like it did that day when upon life's billows you were tempest tossed when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. And everything changed. There was a spirit of love and, and connection. And honestly, we saw that moment in a different light, in a different way. And we knew that God had something more in store and the Spirit reframed how we saw that moment. Remember, the Apostle Paul does that for us. In 2 Corinthians, he goes through all of his struggles and all of the suffering and the shipwrecks and the beatings, and then he summarizes in chapter 12 with this just insightful thought. Remember what Paul said? Paul said, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. How do we get there? Worship. We worship and the Holy Spirit reframes how we see life and how we see our circumstances and how we see our troubles. It's one of the things we learn in this great scripture. Second thing that we learn <clears throat> is that when we worship, it renews, it renews our ability to live the faith. Because when we see things differently, um, we, we, we start to live life differently. We, we live our faith differently. It's not just a theoretical idea. We tap into the power of God that is here and we live differently. We live boldly. We take some risk because we know that God, God is guiding this. Things are not what they seem. We live differently when we tap into the Holy Spirit's power in worship. Pastor Todd told a story a couple of years ago that intrigued me and he gave me permission to tell it again. It's about the great theologian Paul Tillich. This is an apocryphal story uh, that the University of Chicago Divinity School had a minister's week and they invited, invited Paul Tillich to come speak. And he came and they were in the auditorium on this particular occasion, big convocation. There were faculty, students, guests, preachers from the Chicago area that were there. And Dr. Tillich gave his address. Now Todd made a comment 
about Paul Tillich's writings, and I agree with him. I don't know if our pastors would all agree, but Todd made the comment that reading Paul Tillich's writings make watching paint dry look risque. Can be a little cumbersome, a little tedious. And so they gathered that day and his topic was his belief that the resurrection was just a metaphor, not a literal bodily resurrection. And so he gave this address for two and a half hours. It was cumbersome, it was long. He quoted book after book after book and scholar after scholar after scholar. Finally, everybody was just in this just difficult place taking in this dry scholarly lecture that actually cut the legs and the heart out of the gospel. Finally, after two and a half hours, he finished and the audience was kind of in this, this stupor. Honestly, they were kind of stunned and didn't know what to do. And he said, are there any questions? And for 30 seconds, there was complete silence. Then in the back of the room, there was an old retired pastor with closely cropped white hair. And he stood up and he said, Dr. Tillich, I have a question for you. And he took out a brown paper bag. And in that bag, he pulled out an apple and he started to eat the apple. He said, my question is really very simple. Crunch, 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 munch as he ate the apple. Now, I've never read any of those books you've read. Crunch, crunch, munch of the apple. And I can't quote the New Testament and its original Greek. Crunch, crunch, munch of the apple. And I don't know anything about Bonhoeffer or Schleimarker. Crunch, crunch, munch of the apple until he finished the apple and he was holding the core of the apple and he said, but my question is really very simple. I just ate this apple and I have a question of you. Is this apple I just ate, was it bitter or was it sweet? And like a brilliant scholar that he was, immediately had an answer. He said, there is no way I can answer your question because I have not tasted your apple. And the old man took the core of the apple and he put it back in the brown paper bag and he said, sir, neither have you tasted my Jesus. And the audience was listening with electricity and they couldn't contain themselves. They broke out in loud, spontaneous applaud. Now, is that story true or not? I have no idea. But the point is important. It's what we do in worship. We taste our Jesus. We know he is real. We know he is here. And when we taste our Jesus, it changes us. It's not just a core of beliefs, it's a lifestyle that we go forth from this place and we take our worship into the world and we practice what we preach, we live the faith. Worship changes how we live when we tap into the power of our Jesus. And then the final thing, it reignites our passion for spirit-filled life. Isn't that what Habakkuk is saying? Even in these bad days, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. Notice the words rejoice and exult. We should be passionate. We should be fired up when we worship our God because God is here and moving and we tap into that power. We have amazing worship leaders in our church. 
And we asked them some questions. What are their hopes and dreams about leading worship at White's Chapel? And I just want to share with you some of their thoughts, some random thoughts from a whole segment of worship leaders in our church. One said, I think it's really important to engage in worship because those around you may be in a rough space and they could use some encouragement. Another said, I wish people knew how important it is for them to join in and not just sit there. Another said, the purpose of worship is first to glorify God because of who he is and what he has done. It's our fullest expression of adoration and praise to God through all that we do and who we are. Another said, I see people go to football games and concerts and they jump and they dance and they sing and they cry, every form of expression. Then they come to church and don't seem to be able to show the same sort of expression for God. And another said, but I wish people knew about worship is how freedom lives in that space, how free we can actually be in worship. I understand we were all raised differently. We do things differently. But for me, I can truly let my guard down in worship. I can be vulnerable there. I can come to the altar naked and unashamed. So the way I sing and express that is freedom that I find in worship. And then I love this last comment. I wish people would choose to let go and remember that we all worship for an audience of one. What are our worship leaders all saying? Exactly what Habakkuk said. When we worship, we do so with passion. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. So think about it. We've been sharing whatever hopes and dreams for the future. Let's think about some of our hopes and dreams for White's Chapel for worship in the future. Here are some that we have to continue pursuit of passionate, authentic worship in multiple styles, explore church planting and revitalization, especially in urban and rural settings, engage our kids and students to develop a passion and heart for worship, expand worship outreach to local retirement and care facilities, create a culture of invitation. When we're excited about what we experience, we need to invite others to come and share so that they can taste our Jesus through our worship. That those are our dreams together as a church. But how do we get there? The plan is really simple. It's the plan that's always been. When each one of us as individuals learns to be a passionate worshiper, when we learn to exalt and rejoice in the Lord, we will inspire and change others through our example of worship. Now let me share with you my story of worship. I grew up in a very reserved faith tradition and I worshiped kind of in a quiet, personal, introspective way. And through the years at Weiss Chapel, we have had pastors that were different, that were more expressive in worship, and I loved that. I said, you be who you are. You follow the Spirit however you're prompted. I've got to be real and authentic, so I'm going to be me, and you worship the way you see fit. And I love the diversity of expression amongst our pastors. And through the years, I started to get a little more expressive. Because after I'd been here about 15 years, all of a sudden a a music or a song like Bruce or the anthem in the orchestra would move me. And I wasn't ready to raise my hand yet, but I'd stick my finger up like this. (laughs) That's where it started. A little finger up. And time went by 
And years went by and I'd get my finger up a little more. Then, okay, Larry, the Holy Spirit was moving. I'd get my finger up and raise my hand about an inch or two. And I was slowly on this gradual way to learn how to exult and rejoice. And then Pastor Ramon came to our church. I love worship with Pastor Ramon. Ramon was all in for worship. He shouted, he danced, he expressed, he emoted. He just lived this passage for us. And worshiping with Ramon loosened me up until finally I got there and I learned how to just let it go and exalt and rejoice. And you know what I discovered? There's amazing joy and freedom and we can let go. So you know how I worship now? I raise my hand, I amen, I sing every solo with the singers, when the choir sings, I am praising and praying, I am filled with the Spirit because it is joy to let go in worship. I have to tell you, Thursday night the Gators were here. Amazing time, one of the greatest times of my life. I heard the music of my youth all the songs we sang in youth. It was so amazing. I was so fired up. I was so filled with the Spirit. The, the concert got over and I told Debbie as we were walking out, I could jog home to Keller. I'm so excited. I was ready to run through a wall because when we finally let go, you know what happens? We tap into the glory of the Lord that's all around us. And in the worst days, yet, will we rejoice and exult in the God of our salvation. I was remembered in my first year at Weiss Chapel. It was actually August 1992. And I met a young lady and her daughter. They were from England. And she told me their story. Her husband was on assignment to IBM. They were going to be at the church for one year. We'd be in the community for one year. So they moved here and she started trying churches. She said that summer they had been to five or six churches and they just happened upon White's Chapel and they were here during our worship. We only had one service then at 11 o'clock and the service was going on about five minutes and she said her little girl who was five or six years old turned to her mother and said, Mama, this feels like home. And they never missed another Sunday for the whole year. And they were so active in getting our children's ministry going and they were such a blessing to the church and to me because what did that little girl experience? Love, love of the body of Christ, love that fills the space that makes us know that we are home, love that gives us a little glimpse of heaven of what will one day be transcendent for all of us. And when we experience that, it puts a smile on our face and what we get is joy. Not always happiness, but overcoming joy. So when we worship, our goal is to worship in the spirit so that we can follow this advice of Habakkuk on the worst day, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. My friends, that's how we overcome.
Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that we are here to worship in the spirit. We have amazing prompters who make beautiful music that move us and stir us. But Lord, you are the audience. We are the actors. Lord, help us learn to be free. Help us learn to let go. Help us learn the, the joy that comes when we will rejoice and exult in you. Lord, because we are here, because we, we need your hope, we need your strength, we need your wisdom. We need to see the world in a different way. We need to tap into your power, and that happens in worship. So come to us, Lord, and speak to us as only you can so that we might follow you and be faithful to you. Lord, stir our souls every time we gather for worship. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.